in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical, and critical view supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. Well, South American football has got well and truly underway over the past week. The Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana group phase, when you feel as though the tournaments truly do get going, are up and running. We've had some big results, some big surprises, and we now get a better idea of exactly what we may be seeing over the course of 2023. I'm Peter Coates, and as ever, I'm joined by, firstly, Simon Edwards. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Some big surprises, Lobitadores being very Lobitadores, unbeaten Colombian teams. It's all good. So yeah, <laughs> looking forward to discussing today. Yeah, yeah, I wondered why you had that larger smile than normal on your face there, Simon. Um, we'll get into that in just a moment. And Tom Robinson also with us. Yeah, good to be back on the pod and and not maybe quite as many positive stories for for Argentina. I'm sure we'll we'll get onto those some of the big storylines. But yeah, I'm I'm enjoying seeing Simon's enthusiasm. Let's see how how long it lasts. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got to enjoy it because there's been a lot of episodes where it's been rather doom and gloom about Colombia. So if there's a, a good week, then we should certainly bask in that. Um, we will start with, with, of course, probably the stories of the opening round of the Liberty Stories, which were some of the big surprise results. Um, and arguably the biggest came in Group A with the champions, Flamengo starting their group phase account and suffering a defeat away to Alcas, um, which very few people saw coming despite Flamengo's somewhat sloppy start to 2023, shall we say. Um, but Simon, regardless of their form in various competitions and various final defeats in various competitions, it was still a major surprise to see them come up against an Alcas side and come away with nothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a really interesting one. And we have seen Flamengo at times over the years had the occasional off day, but this was this was really impressive from Alcas. And again, we've seen Ecuadorian sides in particular really kind of challenge some of the big guys. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't, but it was a really impressive performance from Alcas. Uh, 2-1, um, a really good win. Uh, Flamengo took the lead, but Alcas came back and, and got the late uh, winner through Ondonez. Um, it, was a, it was a really interesting game. Um, obviously, some of the... Big, big Flamengo stars weren't involved. You know, some few changes there, but a really strong side. I mean, Gabriel up front as well, Ribeiro, a lot of quality across this Flamengo side. But I think Alcas, you know, deserved to get something from this game. Um, plenty of shots on both teams. Um, fairly similar possession, obviously, a Flamengo protagonist, as you'd expect, but Alcas, very, very dangerous, kind of breaking. Uh, and they look good. You know, they're very robust. Cifuentes, um, a slightly rotund striker there for Alcas, but he's been had a good start to the season. And he was a, he was a bit of a menace, you know, getting up in amongst it. It, it. They really unsettled Flamengo. So it was, a, it was very impressive and a, and a good opening win for the Ecuadorians at home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Tom, Flamengo coming into this one as champions, but a side that we've seen over the last number of years be there or thereabouts in the Libertadores everyone would expect them to be there or thereabouts again this time. And it's not obviously late in the day for us to start changing those opinions. However, we are looking at a team that at the start of this year have lost the Supercoppa, that they went to the Club World Cup, went out in the semi-finals. They've made a bad start to this competition. They've just lost against Fluminense in the state championships final as well. It's been pretty disastrous start to 2023. So how do you assess Flamengo 
at the moment and therefore how do you assess their chances going forward not only in the group phase but into the latter stages of this tournament yeah it's it's given a really interesting context to this open opening game and I think Alcas couldn't have asked for a better time to face this Flamengo side as you said they've not been coming in with the best form under new management it'll be interesting to see how that long how long that lasts and Again, that's why I think it's so hard to read into Flamengo's chances just yet because with the year-long Libertadores, we can see a completely different side come the knockout phases, which I'm still pretty confident they're going to reach. And I still think they've probably got the best squad on paper in the competition. So, you know, we've, we've also got to factor in the altitude as well, which is, which is something that was a theme of these shocks um, on the opening day. Obviously, Quito is not quite Bolivia altitude, but, you know, it's still enough to unsettle a, a slightly changed Flamengo side. I, I do, do think Flamengo, even though you wouldn't say that Alcas deserved to, to lose this game, Flamengo had their fair share of chances. And I don't think it was as, you know, one of these complete shocks where you're like, well, what's happened here? I think clearly it's a side that's lacking a bit of confidence. It didn't have its star, you know, all its stars in there enough that they should have got something from the game and almost did if it wasn't for a very well taken late winner as well. That first goal from Matheus Franca as well was a beautiful, um, a beautiful goal, really silky, elegant, slinking through the defence and someone who I think is going to be one of the young stars of this tournament. But I, like Simon said, we need to give Alcas a lot of credit. You know, it's their it's their first time in the Libertadores, which is always nice to see. This competition that still gives you sides that have never been in it before. Um, they've got one of the best badges, I think, in South American football. A really, really strong uh, look, and it was their first Ecuadorian top flight title last year. So it's they're, they're a very interesting side managed by Cesar Farias, who's who's obviously a, a big name in South American football. They've got some interesting players there, you know, the the likes of a, a long-range ping from uh, Romulo Otero. They've got, um, you know, some, some interesting difference makers who, you know, even some who didn't really make, make any impression or, or have any minutes in this game, the likes of uh, Jordan Rezabala, Christian Alaman, Stephen Plaza, even Michael Rangel. You know, th- there's there's a lot of interesting players who've who've been around the um, the South American scene, even even the, the centre-back Aubrey David there, the Trinidad and Tobago centre-back. There's there's not too many uh, times where you see something like that. So th- there's there's a lot of interest in the side um, and none more so than, than Carlos Cuero's um, blonde ringlets as well, a kind of Valderrama-esque haircut, which was also just another reason to love this Alcas side. But I was definitely impressed by them as, as much as I was a bit underwhelmed by Flamengo. And, and it's really made what seemed like a straightforward group with Flamengo and Racing being the obvious favourites in this group. Um, it's, it's kind of open that up to be yeah less of a less of a done deal and you think oh okay Alcas here might actually cause some problems and and who knows with with, with a decent racing side in this group as well Flamengo might not have it quite as easy as they as they first thought yeah I mean Tom's given us plenty of reasons to love Alcas there Simon but on that subject of potential of them causing an upset and getting through do you look at group a and think they could do that to a few more teams at home and then pick up maybe a couple of points away and be a bit of a dark horse to progress into the knockout phase or do you think this is the pinnacle they'll enjoy their their big night against flamengo and and gradually slide out of the tournament 
Yeah, I think getting six points against uh, Nuviense will be will be very important. If they can do that, then they're 100% in, in with a shout. But I think um, getting those points in that game where they're perhaps uh, fancied to, to, to compete or to potentially win those those two games, I think that's going to be key. If they do that, then then why not? You know, I mean, there's a bit of altitude there. I don't think they're the most polished team, but I think they're a team that has match winners, that has players who can can hurt the opposition. So I think they'll be an awkward opponent. It's going to be just key to be clinical and get the points against Nubiense and then make it difficult for Racing at home. And then anything above that is a bonus. But that that might be enough, you know. So I think they're in with a shout. I think they'll be tricky. Um, I don't think they're favourites. I still think Flamengo and Racing will be the, the favourites to go through. But I think they're, they're definitely a tricky, tricky opponent. And if they can be clinical when they need to be, then there's there's no reason they couldn't sneak through this one. Yeah. I mean, as we or as you both mentioned there, the other team that you'd you'd fancy and did win their opening game was Racing, um, who were two 0 winners away to Nublense with one of the goals of the the round, perhaps one of the goals of the tournament already scored by Matias Rojas in that game. Racing, Tom, we saw impress last year in Argentina domestically, albeit coming short in both the cup and the league parts of that season. Um, so there was that question mark whether they quite have that mentality to go and win competitions, which I think is still hanging over them. They've started domestically in Argentina in a somewhat inconsistent manner so far this season. So there's still some of those question marks there. And of course, we'll go back to last year's Sudamericana when I think everyone fancied them to go through from their group there and they managed to slip up, lose at home in surprising fashion and go out. So how do we assess them now looking at their opening game? They've won away from home. They're one of the favourites to go through from their group without question. Um, but are you still a little concerned over the, the potential that they could slip up as they have done previously? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always the, the question with Racing. It's, I think it's way too early to be, to be saying these, aren't, these questions are going to be answered. We won't know the answer to these questions until they find themselves in a situation where it is a must win, do or die scenario. But if they can make the group stage as easy for themselves as, as they possibly can um, and get through what yeah might be a tougher group than we initially thought, then, then that's all you can ask at the moment. I think the fact that we're even at a stage where we're criticizing their consistency and whether they have the metal to go far in the tournament is probably shows you how far they've come because it's, I mean, I still think they're a way off of being considered one of the favourites for the tournament. But the fact that we have higher expectations for them now is testament to to what um, Gargo's done there. And and again, as you said, already in this first week, we've we've had shock altitude, a Rojas, you know, Golasso, maybe even a Puskas contender. Who knows? Um, you know, he's someone who scores a lot of long range goals. Um, None really from inside his own half, um, but it was a lovely moment of opportunism and, and execution there. Um, and also, I think another, I mean, I, th- I think the keeper probably should do a little bit better. It's, it's one of those ones where you think, oh, he's panicking here. He's actually, it's not dipped in just underneath the crossbar. He's he's a couple of 
couple of meters out but again um maybe that's you know i don't want to take the shine off um what was it <laughs> was a, a pretty sensational goal but i think another thing that was that's been interesting with this racing side as well is seeing paulo guerrero on the on the score sheet um really well taken goal um after some good work by gabriel Auche. um and he hit hit the post early on technically gets an assist for that Rojas goal as well and and he's been sort of eased into that racing side and, and he's now scored in the league and in the Copa Argentina and, and the Libertadores now so if they can get him fit and firing and playing regularly then that is that is a significant upgrade on, on what they've had previously um, so that's that's very promising and um, again very if we if we look at an away win in the Libertadores they are always important even if it's a, a team that you you think you should be beating like if you can win your home games and get anything away from home that gets you up to that kind of magic 10 point margin which is usually enough to get you through so you know you don't want slip ups on the first day flamengo now have a bit of a mountain to climb whereas um racing got the job done against you know another team that's making its first appearance in the competition um so you know fair play to nulense um, who you did have a couple of chances themselves that Arias made um you know made a good save there and I think another thing that we need to mention about Nulense is their nickname which um you know liberally translated um comes in as the clockwork sausage so that is that is something that you know this group is giving us plenty of uh, of interest so I'm, I'm a big fan of of Nublense, but very professional win for for racing their, their uh, quality um, you know, cut through there. Yeah, well, if progression went with nicknames, then I'm sure the Clockwork Sausage would be progressing to the round of 16. <laughs> Sadly, Group A, despite that shock, looks as though in, in a couple of weeks' time or in a week's time, by the time this is out, um, might start to look a little bit more familiar with Flamengo at home to Nublense, Racing at home to Alcas, the, the two favourites, likely then getting a bit more in control of Group A. Um, however, Flamengo weren't alone in uh, the shocks on week one of the group phase. We'll go to Group C, where Palmeiras, another one of the teams that have regularly been there or thereabouts, final last year, just missing out on a third consecutive Libertadores title, which would have been an astonishing feat but goes to show just how dominant they've been in this competition um, over recent years. However, they were another team that fell foul to altitude. They were away to Bolivar um, with, of course, one eye as well on the state championships finals, so a, a much-changed squad. But Simon, a 3-1 defeat there for Palmeiras has to go down as another really surprising result on week one. It was a well-earned win. You know, it wasn't one of these shock 50-yard altitude-assisted, you know, goals out of nowhere. The three goals were kind of well-worked crosses into the box and, and good finishes. You know, the the Palmeiras goal was perhaps more kind of a, a long-range effort, yeah. which, which was really well struck. So, you know, Bolivar, very, very impressive. They had more possession. They had more shots. They had more shots on target. Um, they completed more passes. Uh, so it was, it was good. You know, it wasn't just dig in you know, wear down the opposition and hit them on the counter. Now, obviously, um, Palmeiras conceding those goals did have to open up a little bit and that did leave some some vulnerability at the back. But it was just a very, very good performance on Bolivar. Um, again, you mentioned the changes in the Palmeiras side. We have seen in previous years, Brazilian sides with the state championship, the, the league season starting a bit later, it can be a little bit disruptive. And we have seen some of these surprise performances and the team grows into the tournament and they, you know, it's hard to believe that they ever lost the, lost the game when you get to the, to the end of the knockout rounds. And we might see that here, but, um, 
But in this particular game, Bolivar were just really good. And um, Palmeiras looked a little bit off. Obviously, the altitude does play a big factor in that. But there was some really good football from the Bolivians. And uh, it was a well-deserved win, 3-1. Obviously, very, very impressive. So, yeah, great start. And... Very Libertadores, but, but it was a good good performance from the Bolivians. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Simon. It was a thoroughly deserved win. Not one of those that you, you looked at and watched thinking Palmeiras are struggling, particularly just because of the altitude. Because, Tom, I thought from, from minute one, really, Bolivar were, were the better side. They were the team pushing forward. Palmeiras is very much reserved team never really looked in it to be honest and as Simon said there their goal if anything was the one that came against the run of play a sensational strike from Flaco Lopez um, however there was that big caveat that they'd already a few days earlier lost the first leg of their state championships they had the second leg a few days later which they wanted to turn around to lift that trophy they have done that having brought back a lot of the big names that were missing in midweek. Um, is that the main takeaway for you in terms of from a Palmeiras perspective to say, okay, it, it wasn't the Palmeiras that we're used to seeing. And I think going forward in the tournament now, now that they've got that out the way, the Brasileiro season about to start, but they can now concentrate a bit more on the Libertadores group phase, that we'll start seeing the Palmeiras that we have become accustomed to seeing. Yeah, I think it's one of those uh, fixtures that straight away, you know, jumps off the page when... You see Palmeiras, Flamengo lose away at altitude in the first game. You think, oh, are we going to be in for a real um, giant killing in, in the group stage? But I think it's actually one that both these sides will will think, you know what, we'll file this under. We'll do, be able to do our business in the remaining games. We can write this off as just one of those free hits almost and say, look, let's We've got more important things right now to focus on. We back ourselves to get through the group. Um, you know, altitude's always really hard to, to go to. So especially with the lineup they put out, it felt like that they were not throwing in the towel from, from, from the start, but it almost felt they were just sort of saying, yeah, whatever happens here, we're just going to have to take on the chin. Whereas at least a Flamengo game felt more of a, a contest. This was, yeah, very, very disappointing from Palmeiras in the way that their depth maybe isn't quite there as it has been in previous years. The, the One of the things that's been so impressive about this side is how they've kept the core of their squad together and have been so consistent. It does feel that even though we're missing the likes of, um, yeah, Gomez, Weverton, Vega, Menino, Ronnie, all these kind of key players who are going to come in. Um, you do feel that the loss of players like Scarpa and Danilo to, to Nottingham Forest and and the signings they've made. I mean, Artur is a very interesting signing from uh, Brangantino. He's one who who feels like he will give them some some great quality. But other than that, there was a lot of young players who, you know, maybe it's harsh to judge them just on this game, but, you know, you see someone like Ian Custodio coming off the bench and you just think, okay, who, who's, who's that? Um, is he, he's not going to be the next star of Brazilian football. Yes, we're excited to see what Endrick can do. Um, but um, And Flaco Lopez, it'll be nice to see him get a bit more game time as well. But I, I look at this Palmeiras squad and I don't feel as confident in them as previous years. Uh not not based at all on on this game. Um, as I said, a bit of a write-off, but Balmenas don't feel like they quite have the same star quality as someone like Flamengo. So I mean I think it's it's gonna be interesting to see how they do. I still back them to get through this group, um, but it's shown that there are no easy ties. And and as Simon said, Bolivar, you know, looking like again that they're gonna be an 
a difficult team to beat, especially at home. Kind of, we can copy and paste what we said about Alcas, win your home games, see if you can nick something on the road. But they've got, you know, Lampe was in, in pretty good form in this game in goal. Pato Rodriguez is a skillful player. There's even like some really good players that Bolivar have got who they left on the bench as well, like Ramiro Vaca. Um, Moises Vigeroyal, Luis Aquin, you know, all these guys are Bolivia internationals and, you know, impressive players. They've got quite a few of the under 20 squads, um, Miguel uh, uh, Vigeroyal, um, Rocha, Chavez, all good players, you know, so who they, you know, barely, barely used in this game. So th- there's a depth to this Bolivar squad that perhaps we haven't seen in previous years. And yeah, this, this type of win gives you that that confidence is, oh, maybe we are going to see a Bolivian side um, get through it and do something. But out certainly out of the Bolivian sides, it feels like Bolivar are the side that that have the the capability to, to maybe get through in, in what's going to be a real big fight for second place in this group um, with Cerro Porteño and Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting group. We, we all looked at it on paper, I think, before and, and thought Palmeiras will, will go through as group winners. It's too early to change that opinion. But Tom's just mentioned there, Simon, the other two teams in that other game, Cerro Porteño came away with a 2-1 win at home against Barcelona, who were another one of the teams that have impressed in the Libert stories in recent years. Cerro Porteño, one of the teams that are always in the group phase, often into the knockout phases, even if they then make a somewhat hasty exit. But it does make it an interesting group in terms of that battle for second. And Bolivar have certainly made that even more interesting with that opening result. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Cerro and Barcelona were two teams who were always competitive in the Libertadores. Uh, Cerro with an amazing atmosphere there at home, really good support. And they've always got a pretty good side. And, And there's some familiar faces in there. Turin obviously scored the winner. Really nice play from Aquino. He was he was impressive. The, the midfielder there for for Cerro as well. Um, and these yeah, these are two good teams. Cerro often are very very effective uh, and decisive in key moments. Organized Barcelona, you know, dangerous, quick on the counter, pace out wide. So these are two teams well suited to compete in these kind of competitions. There are certain teams in the Libertadores who, in the domestic league, are consistent and get the job done and, and maybe have superior quality but maybe struggling the Libertadores. For me, Cerro and Barcelona are two teams who have the qualities needed, whether it be a, a solid defensive base and, and good organisation uh, and clinical finishing, as we've seen from Cerro in the past, or, or the dynamism to counter, as we've seen from Barcelona. So this was an interesting game by two uh, Libertadores contenders. They're always in, there, in the mix. Uh, and with Cerro getting the 2-1 win, um, it was it was impressive. Uh, Ortiz equalised for Barcelona, and then Churin with a, with a nice finish to, to to win the game for for Cerro. I think kind of slightly expected the home side between two evenly matched teams, but yeah, these these teams look good, uh, and it is a really interesting group now. Um, you know, I think I think I agree, but uh, but yeah, you know, having a, a, a Bolivian side with good depth and good quality that has the altitude, uh, an Ecuadorian team that's really dangerous and dynamic, and then a a Paraguayan side that's very solid and experienced. You know, those are three very difficult sides. So whoever goes through is going to be tricky opponents. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, a good game between two good Libertadores teams. I mean, Simon's there talking about the sort of Libertadores pedigree, if you will, Tom, of, of those teams that we always seem to see in the competition, in the group phase, causing problems for, for some of the 
bigger sides. And the third big surprise of the opening round, if you will, came from one of those teams. Again, the strongest, one of the names that leaps off the, the group phase every year for people who are familiar with the Libertadores or not. Um, a really awkward place to go and River Plate were the latest team to find that out with their opening game. Going very well domestically in Argentina, top of the league there, four points clear already. However, taking a team up to the altitude against the strongest and, and coming up short against an awkward opponent. Um, I mean, again, like we said for the two Brazilian clubs, too early to, to say anything about Riverton, but still a setback nonetheless. Yeah, again, file under one of those unfortunate uh, losses that's not as much of a shock as perhaps um, it might seem from the outside. And, and Di Michelis is, is not someone who enjoys going up to the altitude of, uh, of La Paz. Um, he's not, not had the best record as a player there either. So yeah, it's again, it, it, what's great about the Libertadores is you do get these changes in altitudes, temperatures, you know, different um, playing surfaces and styles and everything like that. And, and it does just make that group stage have that extra bit of drama. And, and you do start to worry about um, a big side like River or Palmeiras or, or Flamengo after their, after their first, uh, first round loss. So it's, I think it's just a quirk of the fixture list to see all these three, probably arguably the three favorites for the title. You could, you could say all getting um, a bit of a humbling on the, on the opening day. Is, is just very on brand for the Libertadores but um, yeah I think as you said River going very well in the league um, and I don't think this is going to disrupt that but you know there's expectation there with River after everything that Gajardo has done over the over the, his amazing re- uh, reign maybe we're going to see a flip reverse and the league's going to be prioritised over the Libertadores probably not but um, I think it's, uh, it's it's definitely interesting a bit of a soft penalty as well mm. Um but other than that, very sloppy from from River. Um, again, some big names on the bench as well. Uh, Nacho Fernandez, Rondon, Barco, Borja, De La Cruz wasn't fit. So again, like we've seen with the other games, you've got to have a slight caveat to how you judge River after there's just one game at altitude, not with their best players. Um, but, you know, despite their good domestic form it isn't a riverside that massively strikes a lot of fear into me as we've seen in previous uh, years so i still think the brazilian teams are, are the ones to beat but um and perhaps even one in their same group yeah we'll, we'll get on to that in just a moment i mean i think with river as you say they haven't exactly clicked yet under demi Chelis. it's still early days and the bar is of course very very high after years of marcelo Gajardo. um however I, th- I think from the argentinian contingent you just mentioned some of the players that were on the bench or not included just goes to show that the strength that River have in that squad compared to a lot of the teams from Argentina and, and elsewhere, other than a couple from Brazil. Um, and then factor in if this River side were to get through the group phase, which we'd expect them to do, they've still got all that Enzo Fernandez money sloshing about. Uh, so you never know what they might be able to do come the midway point of this year, looking ahead to the knockout phase. So they're still a team certainly to keep an eye on. Um, I think when you're when you're putting money down for the for the Libertadores, we shall see. Um, Tom just mentioned the other team in the group, uh, Simon, there who might spring a surprise there. Um, one of the Brazilians who, unlike the Brazilian clubs that we've mentioned already, haven't been one of those heavy hitters in the Libertadores in recent years, Fluminense. However, they started their campaign this time round with a three-one win away to Sporting Cristal. They've just picked up the state championships with a win against Flamengo. They've got one of the 
most prolific goal scorers in South America in Herman Cano as well. Um, just how much of a threat do you think Fluminense could be, not just to this group and River, but to the tournament? Yeah, they've got the top goal scorer in the world, I think, in 2023, Herman Cano. Uh, so maybe the Argentines and the Colombians might have to fight over him because I think he's still eligible to play for Colombia. <laughs> he could have, could have got us to the World Cup. We needed a goal scorer. There, there are lots of calls in Colombia for him, but uh, he's had an interesting career. You know, at times he's been incredible, at times he's been inconsistent, but he's obviously settled in nicely there at Fluminense. He's a, he's a goal scorer who has such good anticipation, such good movement, and he's such a clinical finisher, Herman Cano. So he's going to be important. Um, they've also got another Colombian <laughs> stretching to call Cano Colombian, but Arias as well is, is a really interesting winger. Danso <laughs> in the 10. It's, it's, it's an interesting side, this Fluminense's team, and uh, they definitely started on the front foot in this one. They conceded early. I think it was Sporting Cristal's only shot on goal that, that went in. Uh, Grimaldo gave them the lead. Uh, but then Fluminense came back uh, kind of from the penalty spot and then uh, scoring an, uh, another good finish. They're an interesting side, and I think they have a real goal scorer. You know, he's not going to go to Europe now. He's, he's, he's into his 30s. But for this level, he's very, very clinical. He's very intelligent. And I think given that the side around him is solid and good and, and can create opportunities and looks, looks like they can manage possession well, um, having that clinical finisher in attack means that Fluminense looks like an interesting side. In terms of star power, in terms of overall level, they're probably not the same level of the likes of Palmeiras or Flamengo in terms of their first 11. But it's a good balanced team. They have some creativity in the middle. They have a clinical finisher. They have pace out wide. It feels like it's a well set up. They've used their resources well to get a good balance, I think, for this side. Yeah. And don't forget as well, they've got the the expertise and the uh, attacking threat of Marcelo as well, who's yeah. um, who came with a beautiful outside of the boot pass. Felipe Melo in, in centre-back as well. So there's some... There's some real Libertadores vibes uh, in this side, and and also I, I, we've we've talked about some of their attacking players, but I really love their their sort of young midfield duo um, of Andre and Alexander. Um, Andre, I think, was one of the breakouts of the um, of the Brazilian season last year. Someone who's clearly going to be a a, a big um, option for for lots of European clubs watching. And Alexander was part of that under twenty side. Maybe didn't quite get the same plaudits but was someone who could fill in in a lot of different midfield roles very tidy looks like the next off the the production line there and and you know they've got a coach who's playing some of the most interesting football in South America at the moment um I think he's you've seen a big sort of trend in Brazil towards looking to Europe and bringing in Portuguese managers and the like and and I, I almost see Denise as more of a going going back to the you know the traditional brazilian way of um expression and attacking and and they're just like a real joy to watch i think that even though cristal got that early goal and had a had a late chance that hit the post which would have made the scoreline look a bit more respectable as as you said simon they they had very few actual shots on goal and i think at one point um after about 65 minutes that fluminense had about 15 uh, attempts to cristal's two they were about 65% possession um, and yeah, they could have 
Fluminense could have won by a lot more. So I'm I'm really enjoying Fluminense and they are definitely going to be my dark horses. So lump all your money on them there now to crash out in the quarterfinals. <laughs> there you go. You've heard it here. No, I mean, you're right though. It's, it's always nice to, when you get one of those teams in the Libertadores, aside from playing nice football, have that nice blend of the exciting young players that you're seeing before the step to Europe mixed with the big name players from Europe that are now back finishing their careers. And that's exactly what Fluminense provide. Um, once we, the games we've covered already, I guess, are, are what you'd consider the, the big shocks. Some of the other noticeable um, results that we had, um, perhaps Atletico Minero, uh, Simon in Group G, losing at home against Libertad um, was one of those that uh, was a bit of a surprise and has left the Brazilians with uh, a lot to do considering it's a fairly tricky group when you think they're in there with Atletico Paranaense and Alianza Lima as the uh, the four teams that make up Group G. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that was a really interesting one. I, you know, obviously, as you'd expect, Libertad got the, the goal early and then Minero kind of controlling possession, trying to trying to find a way through, but Libertad retaining a bit of a, uh, a threat on the counter. It's just a really good away performance uh, from the Paraguayans to go to Brazil and to, to kind of see the game out. Again, Minero... Fair number of changes in the side. I think they'll be they'll be stronger moving forward. But uh, but yeah, an excellent start for Libertad, Libertad, which really does kind of open things up. And it was a, it was a good performance again. Libertad is another side that we've seen in this competition before, uh, and they'll take a lot of confidence from going away to Brazil and winning a, winning the game. That can really set them up nicely for the for the rest of the group stage. You know, it, it's a real confidence boost. And then it's a, it's a tricky group, but but having won their most difficult game up. First, then going to Alianza Lima, Atletico Paranense. No easy games, but they probably won the hardest game first. So, you know, that will give them a lot of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're hearing Eduardo Cudet as manager could sort of be the nail in the coffin <laughs> losing that opening game. So a lot could change in that group, but certainly one that's already looking like it could be one of the tightest going forward. Um, one of the groups, Tom, that has almost not got going as a result of just being draws across the board um, involves Boca Juniors. They went away to Venezuela and drew nil-nil with Monagas in the same group as uh, one of the Colombians, Deport- uh, Deportivo Pereira, who drew against Colo Colo. Um, focusing on Boca, firstly, Tom, uh, in that group, because they were, of course, when you, on paper, the team that everyone expected to go through and, and as winners, probably still are. But it was a, a pretty flat performance um, from Boca away from home. Didn't really look that up for it in truth. Um, and that comes off the back of quite a few problems, to be fair, with the club. They've had an interim manager who was there. They're now, today, as we record this, just made official the appointment of Jorge Almeron, which is probably a bit of an underwhelming appointment as manager. Um, and a lot of those big names in the squad are somewhat misfiring. So... Um, slightly concerning start to the tournament for Boca. Yeah, very boring and and low quality game. To be honest, I, I think it's one of those ones that you'd you'd look as a bit of a shock. But to be honest, or at least something that raises the eyebrows. But an uninspiring Boca draw away in Venezuela in the first game of the Libertadores is is not really a surprise to me, especially given their current form. It's as you said, they've they've been really uninspiring. Um Iwada's gone. We'll see how uh, Almiron does. They've got the young players in the squad to do a lot better, but a lot of those big names like Vija, Benedetto aren't really firing. Um and it was just, yeah, the the kind of the perfect 
example of the current malaise um, going on at Boca as well. I mean, two red cards also conditioned how this game went um, with both centre-backs um, getting sent off. But, you you know, you look at the side and there's not got a lot going for it. It should be, perf- they're less than the sum of their parts. But I think even if you did get everything ticking over, they're still quite a long way short at the moment as well. So they're fortunate they've got quite a kind group, I would say. Um, I mean, Pereira and Colo Colo are going to be difficult, um, difficult to beat. Um, and they should be, you know, both. I think every every other team in this group should be licking their lips at the fact that they've got Boca at not the best, ta- not the best time for Boca and a very plausible route through to, to, to knockout phases, especially you look at Colo Colo, Chilean stri- sides have really struggled over the, um, over the last sort of few years. And, and it, they must be thinking that this is a golden chance to get through. So yeah, not great. Fair play to Mon- Monagas. Um, you know, a lot of pa- Panamanians in the side there as well, almost as much Panama as Venezuela, that side, but, uh, and a good triple save from Mosquera. But yeah, um, this might not be the sexiest group, um, but one that I still back Boca to get out of. One of the other... Um groups that I'm sure, Simon, you're desperate to talk about was Group H, of course. You mentioned from the outset that it was a positive week in the Libertadores for the Colombian sides and Atletico Nacional were one of the prime uh, names when we're talking about positive weeks for Colombia because they won their opening game away to Patronato, one of the, the smallest clubs in this year's competition, having been relegated from Argentina's top flight last season, but winning the cup, which is why they're in the Libertadores, um, and Atletico Nacional, after a somewhat tricky start in Palinat, they were able to turn things around um, in a group that does look pretty wide open when you think of the other game finishing 1-1 between Melgar and Olympia. Um, from an Atletico Nacional perspective, Simon, they're going to have to take a huge amount of confidence from that opening week, considering the other results and fancy their chances to be able to use that as something of a springboard to potentially go into the knockout phase. Yeah, I think, you know, conceding so early was obviously a blow, but I think, if anything, Padrato kind of scored a bit too early because they got that goal and then allowed Nacional to really dictate uh, possession and kind of control the game. Um, We've seen Nacional fail to take advantage of these opportunities in the past, but they eventually made the breakthrough. Uh, Dolan Pawan scored in from the penalty spot, taking a penalty in the style of his free kick against Peñarol about 10 years ago. One of the best free kicks ever in the Libertadores. Yeah, absolutely smashing the top corner. Amazing, amazing, amazing goal. Google that one. But on the night, yeah, a really good win for Nacional. Um, there's, I still think, a bit of working progress with this Nacional side. Uh, in the end, it was... Luque coming off the bench for Thomas Angel that kind of probably helped make the difference in the game. There's some good young players in this Nacional side, but I think in these key moments, they're still relying a little bit on the experienced guys. Uh, Hader, uh, a Brazilian who's on loan, did quite well on the wing. Okay, Thomas Angel, okay. But it was kind of the more experienced guys who made the difference. But what I like about this Nacional side is they've got quite a solid defence. Roman and Benguero at fullback, who both can kind of play centre-back as well, very physical Christian Zapata still in there in the central defensive position with Aguirre. That's pretty solid. Um, De Otto is pretty solid. Gomez is pretty solid. I think they've got a decent base. I still think there's some questions creativity, creatively in the final third. But I think that's a that's a strong foundation to build upon. A good away win. Um, and in a group which doesn't look particularly strong, there's no one they'll massively fear. So I think it looks quite even to get three points away is a good start. So yeah, a good a good good day at the office for Nacional. 
Yeah, certainly. Um, Tom, then we'll come to you with just a couple of groups that we haven't touched on. Um, one that you yourself dubbed as, as the sort of hipster's favourite group in Group E. Some really interesting teams in there, some good matchups and some interesting results on the opening weekend because we saw, or the opening week, Argentinos Juniors uh, defeating Independiente del Valle, which which goes to so just where Independiente del Valle have got to in terms of their status in South American football when you can almost consider them losing now in this competition to anyone who isn't one of the really big dogs, a surprise. Um, and the other game in that group, um, a good win for Corinthians, winning 3-0 away to Liverpool, who you look at the group and think it might be the Uruguayans that struggle. However, as you said, it's a fascinating group. Yeah, I mean, all, all four clubs are, are very interesting, different styles, lots of them who, who really favour youth production as well. So there's there's lots to be interested and excited about. And, and yeah, very good home win for Gabby Melito's guys for Argentinos Juniors. I think they've been, um, certainly up until this game, they were unbeaten since the end of February. They've come in with some pretty good, good form. And apart from... You know, seeing out a bit of a tough twenty-five minutes um, initially, they 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 look pretty good. And um, you know, it could have been more if Avalos had scored his penalty. He, he was generally a threat, but it was Cabrera with the with the goal early in the second half. And um, yeah, like I think Federico Redondo looks like um, a, a real interesting player to watch. Obviously, the name alone it means he's going to attract a lot of attention. But and it might not have been his his best game but he's been very good so far this year and and yeah another reason to to like Argentinos Juniors IDV it's that that sort of same old story of need to be more clinical um because they play some good football they don't quite have maybe the you know the team brimming with young players as we've seen them in the past but with um Kevin Rodriguez up front there were signs there that maybe they could um yeah find someone who who could give them a bit more in the final third um, because, yeah, they often dominate possession. Very mixed game for Moises Ramirez as well. Looked a bit dodgy early on, but um, yeah, some very good reflex save and an excellent penalty save. And he's a, he's a goalkeeper that really interests me, but one that I haven't quite made my mind up on yet, despite his, his uh, massive promise. And then in the other game, just a very um, professional performance from Corinthians who, um, you know, they've got quite an inexperienced coach there coming in um but there's a lot of know-how in the squad uh Roger Gares with a with a brace there and yeah he was he was the difference but yeah some some nice nice players in that team Verdes Argentinian midfielder that we've we've been a big fan of Fagner and Casio still somehow clinging on to uh their place in the in the Corinthian side but you know Fagner with two two assists from right back, which is which is pretty good. And yeah, I, I am a big fan of the, this Liverpool side because they're punching their above their weight for some time, and they've brought through some really good young players. Bit of a shame what we didn't see Fabricio Diaz, um, and didn't really get a chance to see much of uh, Luciano Rodriguez in the game either. But um, I think it's probably too much of a gap for them to um, to to breach really um in in this in this group um but hopefully we'll see a bit more of them especially sort of going forward because um they're, they're a decent side to, to keep an eye on even if they're probably not going to get through this group so yeah definitely what i'm dubbing as the, the the hipsters favorite this this year yeah it's certainly one that every week should throw up some of the more interesting games in the fixture list finally that the one group that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, i'll come to you simon because it involves another colombian side another positive result as well as Independiente Medellin drew 1-1 with Internacional in Group B. The other 
game in that group saw Nacional uh, defeat Metropolitano. So it is the Uruguayans who lead the group early on, but absolutely a result that in, uh, Independiente Medellin against one of the Brazilians have to take as a positive. Yeah, and it, and it could have been even more. It, it was a good performance of Medellin. I, I like this Medellin side in terms of Caravid, Moreno, very solid defenders. The Silver Fox, Daniel Torres there in front. Um, Alvarado gives a bit more energy and then there's lots of pace out wide with Sertre Batalla. Also, if you look at the bench, there's some some really good quality players. Miguel Monsalvo, we saw at the U20s alongside Jorge Caresas. But that's a number 10 and a, a number 9 who are really interesting. Um, there's also uh, Cambindo coming off who gives them energy as well. So they've got some good options on the bench. Uh, they've got pace out wide. They've got you know, a solid core. Um, I think Nansalvo maybe gives a bit more creativity, but it's a good side and that's a good result. It was a very even game, really. Um, so it, it could have kind of gone either way. Uh, a, bit, a little bit disappointing that Medellin conceded that goal late on. Kind of uh, a bit of a 50-50 in the corner. International come away with it and, and get the goal. So uh, a good result, but it, it could have been even better. And then in terms of Nacional, it was, it was a professional performance away in Venezuela. They took the lead. They looked kind of in control. The Venezuelans got back into it and then Nacional stepped it up and, and got the win late on. So, uh, yeah, an interesting group again. Uh, I think Medellin can compete international solid, um, if not particularly spectacular. But, uh, yeah, it looks like an interesting group with three teams and then obviously Metropolitanos were competitive and maybe can snatch something at home in future fixtures. They look pretty decent, but I think there's three teams there who could potentially go through uh, in that group. Yeah, I mean, next week we'll have round two from all of the Libertadores group. So still a lot to play for as, we, as we've just laid out there. But some great results, some good games as well to come up. Um, and obviously we'll uh, be back next month when we'll have a much clearer view of exactly how those groups will be looking. This week we also saw the Sudamericana get underway. Um, obviously, when you look at the names in that competition, Tom, quite clearly the, the, the second tier competition in South America. Um, however, there are still some historic names among the uh, the runners and riders this year who are in action. Um, what sort of leaped out to you in, from the opening week of the, the group stages in the Sudamericana? Well, yeah, perhaps not so much of what happened on the pitch, but definitely the the rematch of uh, Tigre versus Sao Paulo, which, um, you know, for, for people who don't know, goes all the way back to uh, a pretty uh, controversial 2012 Copa Sudamericana final. Um which, yeah, is something that you should go and, and check out to, to get the full context on. But yeah, no love lost between these two sides. Some, um, a, a pretty, uh, less than warm welcome, um, as the Sao Paulo came to the, uh, the Tigre Delta. Um, but they did get the, the win there with, uh, Erison getting a brace. Um, so that was definitely one that, that, that jumped off. And generally speaking, that group D, um, with with Tolima in there as well, um, I'm sure Simon will will rave about uh, Jason Guzman's uh, um, Penenka penalty. But um, yeah, that's a group that that really excites me. As does the um, Group F with uh, Misionarios um, getting a good win against Defensive was this year, and Amer- American Minero really surprising Peñarol four one. Um, you know that's a Peñarol side doing really well in Uruguay. Um, Mastriani. Uh, a Uruguayan coming back to haunt 
um, his his countrymen, and also a nice goal from 39-year-old Wellington Paulista. Um, but they've got some good players in that side. Martin Benitez, Artur is a really good, uh, fun right back. Um, Matthew Zinho is a, is a fun little player who, who I've liked for, for a while as well. So, um, yeah, Group F and Group D are the ones that I'm, I'm really looking, looking forward to seeing more of. And, and I'm sure Simon is with the, with the Colombian involvement in there as well. Yeah, I, I can't allow uh, us to skip over Group F without coming to you, Simon, there, because Missionario is picking up that. 3-0 win against defenders this year, a side who have done really well in this competition in recent years, are not as strong a side as they were when they, of course, lifted the sort of Elecano and have, have subsequently played in the Libertadores. However, still a great start. And, and as Tom touched on there, the other result in that group really makes this even more interesting with America Minero putting four past Peñarol. So fascinating to see how that one progresses over the next few weeks. And of course, this year in the Sudamericana, the difference being that the two sides from the group can potentially go through rather than just the group winners. So that in itself opens things up even more. Yeah, it makes it much more interesting for me. I think it, it was a bit unusual the way uh, the groups were concluded in previous years. It, some surprises, but obviously some teams kind of giving up before the end of the group stage, which was which impacted on the, the game. But yeah, obviously, you know, really interesting that one because two top you know, names in South American football defensive, Justicia Peñarol in the last few years, getting thoroughly beaten by three goals in their opening. It leads that group to look really interesting. Um, some more kind of predictable results. Also, Bragantino uh, and Estudiantes picking up big wins. They look strong favourites, I'd say, in Group C to go through. Um, yeah. Interesting ones there. Botafogo as well, drawing to uh, Magallanes, who in the Libertadores qualifying rounds uh, came a bit short, but to see them bounce back and get a point in their opener in Brazil against the Brazilian side is, is, is interesting. Um, a few other ones as well. Fortaleza, uh, I think, is, is a decent side in Group H as well. So they got a good win against uh, Palestino. So there's been some interesting results and there's some good sides. You know, mentioned Mijonarios. They've got a lot of very good young players in that side as well, combined with some experience. McAllister still was still there, um, pulling the strings in midfield. But there's some really interesting uh, young players in that group as well. So Oscar Cortes obviously being kind of the standout we saw from the U20. They they snapped up Leonardo Castro as well, who gives them a lot in attack. He won the league with Pereira and then moved to Millonarios to play the Sudamericana. Um, so yeah, that's interesting as well. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting competition, but I think there's a few sides that are a little bit short from the, from the opening rounds. And there's a couple who kind of stamped their authority on the competition. And then there's, there's some who are still kind of, uh, you know, could, could go either way. So I think it's quite interesting opening round of games there. Yeah, I mean, Tom, I think uh, when you look at some of the groups anyway, now that it's changed to two teams being able to go through or at least have the potential to go through, the second team will play a sort of playoff against teams from the Libertadores. But it does open up the possibility to get to the group phase without just being the group winners. We're seeing a few groups with maybe two standout teams who picked up wins on the opening week and you, you look at it already and think, they're probably going to be the two. Um, and I also mentioned from the outset that we've got some big historic names in the competition who have maybe fallen on, on slightly harder times. Group E perhaps is one of those. We saw Santos start their campaign with a win um, away to Blooming. Mule's old boys are also in there and they picked up a very, very late win away to Aldax Italiano in Chile. Um, that one of the groups that you, that you look at, those two names, 
um, and think that they, they should be finishing as one and two, particularly with Newell's maybe being a toss-up with Alex Italiano as to who to get through, but picking up that away win is obviously a big step in the right direction for the Argentinian. Yeah, definitely. I think the fact that they both got those 1-0 wins away from home as well, just again, is already that's quite a big result in, in those groups. And, and certainly, yeah, Newell's and Santos are, are the sides that jump out at you straight away. And, and you'd think as well, probably the, the format change is also going to maybe um, change the way some of the uh, teams approach these games. It's maybe not we have to win absolutely everything. It might result in perhaps a bit more um, cautious play from from certain teams once they've got a bit of a stranglehold in the group. So that's going to be interesting to see how it changes the dynamic of the group stage. But but certainly you'd think Group E, Newells and Santos should be going through late winners from both of them. But, you know, you look at Santos, they've got some, some real good uh, talent there. Marcos Leonardo, one of the the best young strikers on the on the continent. Daniel Ruiz, a really nice um, Colombian um, playmaker as well, who's who's yeah who, who got the assist for um, Eduardo Bauman's goal. And there's people like Ancelo Borges, the very interesting Bolivian talent Miguel Terceros as well. So lots of lots of reasons to be interested in that group as well. A few of the others that that kind of jumped out as big away wins um San Lorenzo with an, an absolute screamer from Gattoni um that was a a really big uh, win given that Carlos Sanchez had a a red card after 7 minutes um two yellow cards as well so um yeah very, very impressive from him for for all the wrong reasons but you know San Lorenzo big historic side that will will fancy maybe sneaking through in second after Fortaleza who as Simon mentioned are a, um, a real force to be reckoned with I think in this competition and then also you look at Universitario um, a late um, Sukar uh, penalty maybe you could say a, a bit of a sucker punch to uh, Gimnasia's um, first game there um, but again a, a bit of a, a shock even though Universitario are a huge um a huge uh, Peruvian side and also probably one thing that we should mention is their their reaction to Alianza Lima failing to win yet another Libertadores game. I think it's 30 games without winning in the Libertadores for um, Alianza Lima and they put up quite a cheeky little um, post on social media of um, I think maybe Irvin Avila or someone like that who, was the, who has the number 30 on, on his on his shirt, which was a nice little nod to that. So Universitario um, bringing the uh, bringing the uh, the shade on and off the pitch, um, and Gimnasia not doing very well in, in Argentina, and will be quite gutted that they've already got off to what will pr- probably be um, you know one of the games that they really should have won if they had any chance of going through. So already loads of interest there, um, and it's going to be it's going to be really fascinating because. We've seen some great sides um, come through this tournament and and really be some of the sort of big shapers of trends in in South American football for those up and coming teams. And a, as you said, a chance for maybe some of those big historic teams to 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 get a bit of glory that that's been evading them. Yeah, um, in that group um, that Tom just mentioned, Simon. We saw Universitario snatch that win against Gimnasia, but we also saw Independiente Santa Fe. Another Colombian side pick up a positive result with a nil-nil draw in Brazil away to Goas. Um, and Tom just made a point there about this tournament in many ways over the last few years has been one which has been able to sort of see trends a little bit earlier in South America in terms of teams that are on the way up, certainly players that have impressed and then gone on. Um, are we are we beginning to see over the Libertadores and the Sudamericana a trend here that Colombian football is on the way up? Um, that would be a... 
positive approach. Yeah, I mean, look, there's some positives there. I think the way Millonarios have moved players on and renewed through um, youth development is really interesting. Oscar Cortes, Samuel Asperia. Um, that isn't something we've seen from Millonarios in the past so much. Um, last season, they had two very interesting wingers. They've now got two new interesting wingers. So to be bringing through these um, these young players and, and kind of renewing through through good scouting, they've got a lot of the players they brought in have come from the Pacific Coast, from Buenaventura. It's it's good to see a kind of sustainable strategy that brings in youth. That's been really positive. Uh, Tolima have been struggling in the, in the league a little bit in Colombia, so for them to uh, get a good 2-0 away win is, is, is positive. Santa Fe... Solid result. I think Santa Fe is probably the team that is still kind of trying to work out its identity a little bit. Um, but again, a good result. Jose Enamorado, a good player on the wing, doing well. <laughs> Hugo Rodriguez up front playing 90 minutes, uh, which is which is fun as well. So, look, I, I wouldn't read too much into it just yet, but there are certain aspects of these teams which I think is which is promising, and in particular the way Millonarios are starting to bring through youth, which isn't something they've been known for over the last 10 years. So I think there's positives there that they can move players on and bring other players from the academy and not really lose a step. You bring in someone like Oscar Cortez and, and that's, if anything, a, a step up in terms of quality. So uh, there's some definitely some positives. Um, and for Colombia to go a full week in the Libertadores and Sudamericana and not lose a game is is very reassuring given the, the way things have gone more or less since 2016 uh, with the Nacional win. It's been generally quite a lot of negative news. So I think it's positive to see teams competing and getting some good results. Yeah, well, on that positive note, we, we will leave it there. That We could have obviously gone on a lot longer going through all of these groups in a lot more detail with both the competitions, but it's just week one. We'll be back again, of course, next month when we'll have a lot clearer view, probably halfway at the midway stage of the uh, the Libertadores and the Sudamericana group phase. So we should have a, a bit of a clearer idea of who may be going through into the knockout phases um, in both competitions and have a bit of a better idea of, of where we might want to start putting our money uh, in both of those tournaments. Um, but as we'll wrap it up there, uh, thank you as always, uh, Simon, for your input. And Tom, uh, to you too. <laughs> thanks very much. Cheers, thanks. Hopefully there's there's plenty more um, shock to altitude and Colombian success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, and as I said, we'll be back next month to to bring you some more news from the Libertadores um, and elsewhere in South America. Uh, you can find all the latest odds and betting insight on Pinnacle.com, plus plenty of content on Twitter at Pinnacle and Instagram, Pinnacle.betting, with plenty of other sports as well coming your way. Please gamble responsibly. Um, we didn't mention any odds during this episode, so there were no necessary data to correct. But if you go to the website, you'll find everything up to date there. 